Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 72 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On today's episode, we welcome a man who, when he launched his first ever vlog four and a half years ago, wrote on his YouTube page introduction the following. It's just an introduction to who I am, a poker player, business owner, amateur DJ, producer, clothing designer, marketer, content creator, copywriter, and basically any other task related to being a solopreneur. Well, he's come a long way since that first vlog, and we're happy to have him here to talk about his life, poker playing career, and his years as a YouTube content creator. His name is Johnny Moreno, but he's better known as Johnny Vibes. Johnny, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. And it's uh, it's fun for you to read that back to me because, <laughs> you know, when you uh, when you create that first video or write up that first little bio, I was just a poker player just grasping at like what I wanted kind of the next thing to be. You know, I, I was starting this uh, this little clothing brand startup. I was like making videos. I was just starting to create uh, social media profiles. So it was fun to, oh, and I had been learning how to DJ as well, uh, learning how to produce my own music and uh, all of the things that I just found fun because poker, while it was my primary thing, it's definitely a grind. And I found that when I dabble in other things, it helps keep me sane at the poker table. And uh, it's just like a better quality of life for myself. Nice. Well, you know, in, in a way, it's it's funny, like, you know, we we did that introduction and you responded kind of how I hoped you would, because that's basically the first question. It's kind of like an overarching one. That's obviously a ton of stuff you threw out there. You know, some folks, like they say, let's just, you know, spray the wall and see what sticks, you know. Mm-hmm. And as far as all of those things that we mentioned, you don't have to go out one by one necessarily, but where are you today, four and a half years later versus where you were at? you know, four and a half years ago when you said, you know, these are the things that I think I want to do. Yeah, it was interesting. The, I, I would say the catalyst for, there was a couple of catalysts for even creating that first YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was being inspired by the people around me. Uh, Christy Arnett is my sister-in-law. She makes yeah. content. And I just saw the way that she was able to creatively put together stories and the fun that she was having doing it. Also, I was uh, friends with Andrew Nimi and I was noticing how, you know, his, his style of putting together videos and we were kind of doing the same thing. We're both playing poker for a living. And, uh, I, I thought, you know, that, that looks like it'd be a lot of fun. The other thing, the other catalyst was I had, uh, about a year and a half prior started a clothing brand where I was making basics, just like t-shirts, hoodies, and crews, things like that. And I did not know how to sell anything. Like I, I had never like, you know, done a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or, or, you know, created a piece of marketing content or, and when people would ask me about like this other side project that I had that was making me no money, I would like freeze up with my elevator pitch. Like I, I just was like not a marketer and not somebody who, who was good at selling any kind of product. So I was like, if I'm ever going to be good at that, I'm going to have to be able to tell stories in video format. I'm going to have to be able to publicly speak. So this is kind of something that I can do to work on everything. I can like have this creative thing on the side, incorporate the music things that I love, learn to tell better stories, learn to um, be a better marketer, be a better public speaker. I thought that if I created a YouTube channel, that it would just help me with all of these things. And you know, I never thought that it would be a place where people would uh, subscribe and like follow along and become part of a community. I just thought it was something that was going to be fun that would help me get better uh, in all aspects of my life. Fantastic. Well, you know, like you said, you certainly have come a long way. It's funny to hear, you know, the, the great Johnny Vibes say something like that. You know, like from those humble origins, you've become someone who's clearly uh, excelling at all those sorts of things. I I do kind of have to ask, though, so almost like you already knew at the time when you were starting to design your clothing that you didn't know how to sell. So what was it that kind of motivated you in the first place to design this clothing? You just wanted to exercise creativity or what? Yeah, that that, so I, I went to EDC, I don't know, maybe like. 10 years ago. And 
I was like really inspired by the way that people were able to take songs that people recognize, but repackage them in a way that I had never heard before with like different remixes and stuff. And a lot of times people at EDC are like showing off their remixes of songs that you'd hear on the radio, but you'd never heard it this way. So I was like, I kind of feel like that could be something that I could learn. So I went home, downloaded Ableton, started like mixing these music, this music, showing it off to my friends. And then I'm like, if people are actually going to listen to music, they're probably going to like want to see a video with it. So then I started like doing little travel videos of me and my wife and stuff. So I don't even remember what your original question was, but, um, <laughs> but like, that was like one of, oh yeah. And then I was immersed in like with being immersed in the music culture and having this creative thing in the music culture and the video and the videos of the travel videos and stuff. I was also kind of in the streetwear culture. Like I really liked um, just like, I've always kind of been a little bit progressive with the way I dress and I'm six foot five slender frame. And a lot of the clothes that I would try to buy just didn't fit me. So I was like, I want to kind of design my own clothes and have them be like more of a progressive streetwear flair. And that's what that was. It was just more of a something that was fun for me. But then when I started actually making them, I'm like, okay, now how do I sell these things? Right, you know, right. I, it's funny because when I started creating this thing, I was never thinking like, I'm going to grow this into a huge brand. It was like, I want to learn how to do something that will like be added to my wardrobe. And then after a while, I was like, okay, I'm spending all this money on it. Like I should probably learn how to try to like sell the, the <laughs> items that I'm making. It's interesting. But, you know, in, in a way though, like uh, it, it kind of points to something like so many people like, you know, you know, to, get, to live, live, to eat, that sort of a thing. You didn't get into it for the wrong reasons. Like you found a way to kind of turn something you're passionate about into a way to make a living from it. And, and obviously that goes for poker and, and your other pursuits too. Yeah. Well, so I mean, that's, that's the huge thing about poker. I feel like so many people get involved in poker because they see it as a path to more freedom in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to like choose the hours that you, you don't have to make this grand entrepreneurial investment into a startup. You can start with a small bankroll online, grinding out micro stakes, move up to another higher stake. Perhaps internationally, it's not so easy to play live because of, um, you know, how the poker rooms are, the rake structures, how few sure. and far between they are in certain cities. But if you live in America, there are plenty of cities where you could grind out a, a nice little living with, um, you know, in certain places with not a high cost of living as well, uh, playing like relatively modest stakes. So I think that that's one of the things that poker offers people is that opportunity if you become good enough you can create some freedom in your life. But what ends up happening is people start making money and they're, they get married to poker as well. And they start grinding it out 40, 50 hours a week, rate, making more money, but then raising their standard of living as well. So what I tried to do was reevaluate. It's okay, why am I, I played poker because it was my path to having more freedom in my life, being able to spend more time with my wife, being able to uh, go take on, take trips and things like that. But if I'm always grinding and not mixing in learning how to DJ or starting this little clothing thing or making videos, then or traveling, like, why am I still doing this? Like, this is creating not the thing that I wanted in my life. It makes sense. Uh, yeah, my next question is a poker question, but I just saw, I realized those of you who didn't know what EDC meant, that's the Electric Daisy Carnival. Uh, so mm. like the big uh, festival in Las Vegas, right? When does yeah, it take it's an place? Electro it's electronic music festival in Las Vegas every yeah. year. Um, it's the it's like the Super Bowl of music festivals. And yeah. The biggest production. They spend tens of millions of dollars on production and they invite and all and the... I think the highest charges of Uber and Lyft also all year. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's actually the one downside of it is uh, it's really hard to get in and out. Right. All right. Well, you talked about uh, grinding up a bankroll. That's something that when you started your first vlog episode, you had said, you kind of told your, you know, burgeoning audience out there, I'm embarking on a 10 week challenge and I want to run up $30,000 playing two, five and five, 10, no limit. So mm -hmm. I kind of wonder at the time, was that just sort of supposed to be it? I mean, you're, you've got 110 episodes of the vlog now. At what point did you say, you know what, let's just keep rolling with this thing. I actually remember the exact moment. It was wow. episode okay. number seven. And okay. it's interesting because when you upload uh, a 
piece of content, you'll get emails that say so-and-so commented on your video. Right. Um, and so I would get those every once in a while that was like, oh, you know, so-and-so commented on your video. And then I remember on the seventh video, I stopped getting those email notifications and oh, okay. I, I went to bed and I'm like, oh, this video must not be doing well. And I woke up in the morning and that particular video, the seventh video, it was actually a video of me losing a lot of money in 510. And um, I think a lot of people related to that feeling of loss and like the despair at the poker table and YouTube figured out that people were liking it. So it stopped notifying me and it just let the comments start flowing. And I woke up to like 300 comments, Wow! which none of them came through as an email notification. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I was surprised to see so many people watching it. And, um, I, I, a lot of the comments were, please don't stop making, please, please keep making videos after 10 videos. So it was kind of like this fuel to, Anytime you're doing something and you're getting like positive reinforcement from people, it gives you like the little bit of like extra energy. If you have any doubts that maybe you should keep going. So I was learning, like I look back on some of those videos and like the, the composition of some of them and the audio and the exposure, my face was all blown out from too much exposure and I was backlit, you know, and like all these little things that I learn along the way. Uh, that I try to incorporate into my next video. And I just had a a video that I uploaded uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like that video would have never been possible yesterday with like all the clean cuts and the clean edits and the transitions and the good audio and the, you know, well lit, um, you know, everything that went into making it a nice video would have never been possible. But I didn't have those terrible videos up front with the bad audio and, terrible composition. So it's just like this learning thing and every video, just trying to get better, trying to put something out there that resonated with people. And, you know, it's, it's reinforcement. And and there's times when I get burned out and, you know, maybe people aren't watching as much and I go for a month and a half without uploading a video and then I'll upload one and it won't get that many views. And I'll start like, you know, second guessing, why am I doing this? And, and it's just like one of those things where the outside influence, as much as I don't want it to, you know, people give me energy, they help me create bigger things, you know? So same thing with the, with uh, Olga in my life, with the way that uh, she supports me, my audience actually does that. It's crazy. Like the comments, like I'll read a comment and I'm like, okay, I'm fired up to make some more videos again. Like this video resonated with this one guy in New Hampshire said it made his day better. Like now we're making more videos. You know? Awesome. Awesome. That's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm sure that uh, folks, you know, fans of yours who are hearing that uh, they've heard that many times over the course of your 110 uh, plus videos. Uh, take us, you know, maybe perhaps a little bit on, on a deeper dive. Uh, you mentioned that this learning process, obviously, you know, Every time you make one, you learn something new, you learn something new. But have you ever, I mean, poker, poker players like to say they got in the lab and they started studying. Did you ever do that sort of a thing as well? And, you know, I don't know, do like a, I don't know, an intense, like, how do I make it better type of thing? Look for instruction or it was just sort of, you know, you know, some people learn by playing and just, you know, correct one little thing at a time. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question, but pretty much anytime you're going to dedicate something like a passion when you're growing within that thing it's going to be fun the moment that you start plateauing or declining in your knowledge or your proficiency at that thing it's going to become less fun so whenever i hear people tell me poker isn't fun anymore Mm -hmm. in the back of my mind i'm always thinking it's because you're not learning it's because Mm -hmm. you're not pushing yourself to get better at the game and you've kind of plateaued Uh, I, and the things that I've done in poker to curb those kind of things are, I started staking someone, I started coaching other people. I started playing tournaments, you know, and like tournaments aren't something that I'm an expert at. So now I'm learning things in within tournaments. So getting, getting the lab is kind of easy for me because with tournaments, there's like so many things that I don't know. So I, all I need to do is pull up, you know, one of these softwares like uh Floptimal and just like study the 
20 to 30 big blind range. Like I spent my whole career over a hundred big blinds. So this is fun for me. This is like easy and new and things that I get to do that are fun. So it's the same with making videos. It really is. And like the personally, the way I attack making videos is where I want, always want to be learning new things and trying new challenges is I'll watch other people's videos for inspiration, not necessarily within the poker space, but just on YouTube and I'll find good content creators. And there was a, and, and then sometimes I'll even watch tactical videos, you know, the same thing in poker, like tactical videos um, in poker. We'll watch a video that like maybe teaches us about bet sizes on certain board textures, right? That's very tactical. Um, and then we'll watch another video, like an EMI video where it has drone shots and, you know, and it's more of a lifestyle video. So like there's, there's ways to be fueled all the way. And like, it, for instance, with uh, making videos, I bought this mouse recently and it has all these buttons on it. They're like programmable buttons that like come on the mouse. And I'm like, how can I use this mouse to make my editing quicker? Mm. So like I, I went down a rabbit hole to figure out like, can I assign buttons for like breaking clips in half? Can I assign buttons for zooming in on the timeline? So it's like mm -hmm. now I've, I've gotten a little bit more proficient at editing because I spent time going down this rabbit hole. It's like, that's just like a tactical thing. It's just like having love for the thing that you love doing and going down this rabbit hole. That's really yeah. what it's been for me with videos, with making music, with poker, with all of it. Yeah. You mentioned the Floptimal. Gotta gotta give the shout out to Jesse Sylvia. That was uh, our interviewee in episode number forty-seven. He talks about that app. If you guys want to learn uh, a little bit more about that, um, you mentioned this. You seem to have this sort of natural curiosity. Is this something that kind of just sort of developed as an adult, or do you have it as a kid also growing up? And you always were like, I'm gonna climbing up trees and exploring. It's things. it's really funny that you mentioned that because my wife talks about this all the time. Yeah. Well. We'll be like watching a, a show or something and it, it'll make a reference to some like, uh, I don't know, like the other day it was like, uh, this is the Mecca for music, right? Okay. And like, she just lets it go and we just move on and she's like, oh, that must be an important place for music or whatever, like in her head. I'm okay. like on Wikipedia, like <laughs> what is the what is the true meaning of Mecca? And like, you know, why is Mecca? Like, why do they always use it in these references? And I'm like nice. digging, deep. like I have this curiosity to like know why on all of these things. And she's always like, why are you always doing that? <laughs> so yes, it's something that's kind of always been a part of me. That is funny. That's funny. Um, all right, so you've taken this four and a half long year journey thus far you've mentioned how you've progressed as a vlogger and it gotten better how about on the poker side how have you you know how do you look at yourself as far as your style of play and, and your performance do you, do you also evaluate on that yeah definitely mm -hmm. um and it's it's this is a tough one because it's really hard to be great at poker unless you are all in and mm -hmm. it's uh, it's really come face to face with myself because of my close relationship with my brother Andrew, right. uh, who um, is a longer professional than me. He's been uh, a professional poker player for probably 17, 18 years now, maybe close to 20. And I've only been a professional player for 14 to 15 years. So he's got like more time in the saddle. But there was a period of our careers probably five years ago where we were playing the same stakes and we had basically had the exact same hourly. And at that point is when I started going down the, let's do these other things. Like let's start making videos. Let me invest some time in music. Let me invest some time in this clothing thing. And he was like, let me invest some more time in solvers. Let me like go down this path of like really getting good at poker. And that was like his one focus. And I saw our win rates start to diverge. And his just climb higher and him get more versed in tournaments and become just an absolute monster at the poker table while I was kind of just treading water and just like kind of going down like a more mediocre path. And it was a realization that like, if you want to be great at poker, you have to be all in. So I, while I study and, you know, being around my brother is like impossible not to study. Like every time I see him, he's like, well, look at this hand where I check raise this guy. And then this turn card came down and 
I was going to be barreling 90% of my check raises here, but then this changes the board texture. And now I think that I can use a blocker sizing, or maybe I should check here. What do you think? And I'm like, you know, like I, it's impossible to escape, you know, when I'm, when I'm with Andrew, like he's going to go deep down the rabbit hole. So I'm still like in it. I'm just not as in it as him. So I'm still progressing just, um, not as much as I would like, but I, I do recognize that if I, if I were to progress as much as I like, it would require me giving up some of these other things. And I, I, I don't know if I want to, you know, like I, I really love the balance that I have in my life. I love the, the freedom that poker has given me. And the, the more that I invest that time into that, the less I get to do these other things and have this balance that I do crave. Phenomenal answer. And obviously you're, you're tremendously self-aware and, and I can understand uh, that struggle when there's two kinds of things you want to do. It's kind of like that sliding doors moment, you know, like yeah. that, you, that you have that you described uh, very interesting. And obviously, you know, you, you continue to keep your finger on the pulse. Sometimes you can swing a little bit one way, like you say, you take a month and a half break and maybe that's when you dedicate a little more time to study and then you can always, you know, swing back to, to the vlogging. Um, you know, very interesting answer. Um, Obviously, you know, you say you have these pursuits, you have this curiosity, you're doing what you want to do. Do you kind of actively measure success? Is it more of like, oh, I've got, you know, X number of comments or views and, and the analytics kind of thing? Or is it, ah, oh, that feels good. I just hit publish. That's that's the successful feeling. Which is it for you? Uh, I would say it's a little bit of both because while the process, I love the process and like having a process where I feel enriched and happy and, you know, putting together a little edit and showing Olga and, you know, my friends like, look at this like little joke that I made. What do you think? And they're like, ah, I didn't really hit, didn't really land or whatever. Like that is still fun for me, but the actual like feedback that I get from the audience, I, I like that too, you know? Okay. So I, it's a little bit of both. Like I still am in love with the process of making the videos. And if the feedback loop of people telling me that they like the videos completely went away, I would still have fun making the videos, mm -hmm. but it just adds like a little bit extra juice, a little bit extra motivation to work even harder on the next video. So it's, it's both for sure. Okay. Cool. Uh, okay. Back to clothing for a sec. Again, you clearly have, uh, like you said, you're progressive in your dress, but clearly, uh, you know, you have some sort of an enthusiasm for uh, fashion in a way. And that clothing line that, you know, from when you started to now has also evolved. Can you kind of describe a little yeah. bit your your creative process and, you know, how do you decide to go with one design? And I'll be very frank as well. I'm total new, but I don't know anything yeah. about this kind of stuff. I don't even know what I'm wearing right now. But like, yeah. you know, so, so how does well, that process work for you? Yeah, it's definitely evolved. And it's, I mean, it's evolved to the point where I actually shut the company down and uh, I never actually made any money with it. I just lost money with it. And no kidding. Huh. But it, it's, it's one of those things where like everything that you try, you're not going to be successful at, you know, but I, huh. I learned a lot about the industry and like what it would take. And I knew that if I wanted to like build like a successful clothing brand, it was going to take me being all in just like it takes being a great poker player, it takes you being all in with poker. And I, I wasn't all in with it. So I used my contacts. I used what I knew about the industry and I just slimmed it down to more of like a Johnny vibes merch where I just okay. released like, you know, a hoodie here every once in a while, a hat here every once in a while, maybe a t-shirt. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it taught me some lessons about business for sure. Uh, I don't regret it and it was a lot of fun, but now it's just, uh, merch here and there on my website. Okay. And would you say that that experience and those lessons were sort of transferable to the felt as well? In a way? Um, I don't know. I, I think that more the felt really teaches you lessons about life. Honestly, oh, like <laughs> the, the way that things happen in poker are the, the losses that you take the expectations that you have in certain spots um, when those expectations aren't realized, that's where you get to like really see like what's going on inside, you know, like, let's say like you get really angry at a certain like thing that happens in poker. You're not really like angry about that thing in poker. There's an opportunity for you to look deeper and say like, why am I getting so upset in these spots? Like, is there something deeper going on? Poker is the number one, in my personal opinion, the number one, 
uh, self-evaluation uh, tool that we have because there's nowhere else that you're going to be able to be uh, able to win in a short amount of time or lose in a short amount of time and like see the wins and the losses and re yeah. really reevaluate what's going on. Okay. Well, uh, within that specifically, the cash game grinder experience versus the tournament grinder experience, I would say is quite different. You know, even the best tournament players, you know, they're, you know, very happy to be cashing, you know, 18%, 20% of the time. Whereas a cash game player, you know, you want to be cashing, you know, what, 70, you know, I'm sorry, making money 70, 80% of your sessions uh, or, or more. Can you kind yeah. of describe, I mean, because, you know, now you say you're dabbling much more in tournaments, um, sort of describe that both sides of that coin from your perspective. But in addition, I'm kind of wondering, based on that as well, what do you prefer? Like the, the tournament fluctuations or the cash game fluctuations? Yeah, I have always preferred cash games, um, mostly because I feel like I can control my destiny a little bit better and I have mm -hmm. a little bit more uh, control over the, you know, the wins and the losses, how I feel at the table. If like I'm not having a good time or I'm not in the right mindset, I can actually leave the table, you know, in tournaments, if things aren't going well in a yeah. tournament, your only choice is to tilt it off or or you know sit there um in a cash game you can always leave and and you just like you're at the mercy of the deck so often you know you're taking these like 55 45 situations all in pre-flop or all in on the flop so often for uh tournament success that it it's an emotional roller coaster for sure you know uh in deep stack cash games you're gonna have a uh an all-in pot for a 600 big blind pot once yeah. every 10 hours maybe <laughs> at the most yeah and when you do get in that situation hopefully you're an 80 20 you know yeah. um so the the like heartache and the the pain in cash games doesn't come as often uh, as it does in tournaments uh, i i i kind of feel like to be a successful tournament player you have to have this relationship with first of all money and second of all, uh, you have to be a little bit detached from your emotions, in my personal opinion, to not let it, you know, hit you, you know, because busting out of a tournament for me has always been, it's always just, it just hurts. And like the walk to the parking lot always hurts and cash games, it hurts, but it hasn't hurt as much for me. That's something a lot of folks can relate to. You know, everyone plays at least the odd tournament once in a while, even if you just cash game grinders. So, uh, you know, a lot of I know myself, you know, I play maybe one, two tournaments a year. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, uh, that's a familiar feeling because I don't get to cash. I mean, I wonder if it's like our minds are warped because when I when I enter a, turn, uh, a cash game, mm -hmm. my expectation is that I'm going to win more often than not. Okay. And when I enter a tournament, my expectation is that I'm probably going to cash. But like, I'm probably hmm. not. <laughs> right, right. You know? Set, so setting yourself maybe, up for the disappointment a little bit. Yeah. So I think it's maybe that like, I, I just don't meet my expectations more often, which is soul crushing. Interesting. Uh, one of the things also that you, you kind of have this unique additional factor versus, you know, any other you know, tournament or cash player, you know, you're doing vlogging lots of times during your sessions. And, you know, you've admitted to making some questionable plays, you know, on the vlog, like, I don't know if I would do that sort of a thing, but the camera's right there. Um, you know, how, how do you sort of deal with, you know, do, do you, you know, I don't think you're obviously doing it on purpose in order to create better content or anything like that, but how do you kind of reflect on that? You know, I don't know. I don't even know how to phrase the question exactly. Just the yeah. situation that you're in. Because you're kind of doing both simultaneously. You're talking about, you know, got to focus on the poker, got to be detached, but also like, oh, yeah. And what are people going to think about this vlog? Is the lighting good? You know, I don't know. Yeah. So I would say that tournament vlogging for me specifically is really difficult because in every uh, vlog, I like to at least have some sort of like story line, you right. know? Sure. And in tournaments, like the story is almost always we're getting our chips in the middle and hoping for the best and oftentimes it not working out and we're busting and walking out of there. So I feel like the story is less compelling to me mm -hmm. and harder to tell. And also like the blinds are always moving. The, your seat is like 
the stacks are always changing. The effective blinds are always changing and tracking all that while trying to record hands is just a task for me, especially when I'm not a tournament professional. I really want to be focusing on, okay, what's my opening range at 24 big blinds here from the cutoff? Not like, is the camera rolling? So I usually just don't vlog tournaments. I stick to cash games. The blinds are always the same in the cash game. Right. So like I only need to like press the record button, jot the hands down. Like it's, it's so much easier for me to vlog cash games. I can get up when I want, you know, if I feel like there's been a lot of fun hands in the session, I can get up the session and feel like this is going to be a fun story to tell on YouTube, you know, mm-hmm. even if it was a loss, you know, um, right. but tournaments, I just, I, I tend to not vlog them. The one exception is I'll vlog the WSOP main event yeah. because that one, um, and and even when I do vlog it, I actually don't really record hands until I'm all in for my tournament life. Oh. I'll like pull the, I'll pull the camera out and I'll say, okay, I'm all in for my tournament life. This might be the hand where I'm exiting the tournament. So I want to get it captured right. so that I can talk about it later. But I, I just like, you know, day three of the main event, you know, money bubble looming 20 K 16 K and, you know, EV on the line. I don't want to be like pressing record when I'm opening ace queen suited in middle position. Like I just don't want to do that. You know, I understand that when you talk about the main event, you know, the main event, obviously it's everyone's, you know, bucket list kind of dream to play. Uh, You've cashed in the main event five times. That's a pretty cool thing. And it's kind of like a, a known thing that cash game players tend to, you know, overall, you know, as a you know, general, generally speaking, overall tend to do better, have a little bit of an easier time in the main event because it's just so well structured. It's so deep. Um, you know, kind of tell us a little bit about what it means to you, just first of all, to play in the main event and then, you know, to have cashed so many times. Yeah, I mean, what a dream, man. I yeah. I started playing small stakes poker with my brother, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the, you know, the thought of winning a couple hundred dollars in a session was like amazing. And I remember just being so happy with those sort of things and thinking that the main event was just something that was like, you know, like astronomical goal, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the very first time that I played it like 10 years ago, I qualified. Well, the very first time I had the opportunity to play it, I won a seat on full tilt poker. It was a $12,000 package, like 11 years ago or something. Yeah. And I was too scared to play it. You know, I was like, wow, that's like such a big thing. And, you know, I have like 30 K to my name and, you know, I got this $12,000 that I'm supposed to invest in the main event, which is, you know, you know, if I don't use it, then I'll have 42 K in my bankroll, you know? like, Um, so I just took the money and didn't play it and, um, ended up, you know, going to Europe and hanging out with, my European poker friends, uh, during the main event, but like then playing it the next year, because I had a a little bit more of a bankroll and kind of having FOMO a little bit about like having that chance and not taking it Mm -hmm. and doing a little evaluation on like, okay, so I'm a poker player. I've been doing this for like five or six years now, and I'm not willing to play like the most prestigious tournament that everyone says that you're supposed to play. Like, okay, I should probably do this. And I, so I played that first year. Um, and I remember on day two, I got in a hand where I, I called a raise with pocket tens um, in middle position, early position, player on my right raised, I called and uh, the big blind defended and we went three ways and the flop came jack 10, seven with a flush draw. And the original raiser was, eh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name is, his name is Anastasinathana Polychronopoulos. <laughs> Anastasios sure. And I buy that. He see bet. And um, I, I think I started the hand with like 30 bigs. And I uh, raised and got it in. And he had pocket jacks, you know? Yeah. And uh, I remember just like that feeling of being gutted, the mm. like $10,000 just disappearing. Right. And walking out into the parking lot into the thousand degree heat to my car. <laughs> and just like, Getting in my car and start, I started driving and I actually don't even know where I was driving. I just started driving in circles because like I didn't know where oh. I wanted to go or whatever. And I'm like, I'm never, I can't go through this again. This is like, I'm gutted, you know? <laughs> um, so then the next year I did not play. Okay. Um, I was like, yeah, that was too hard. Yeah. I don't want to go through it. And my brother played and he went on a deep run and I saw my friends having fun. And I'm like, 
do I really want to live my life being like scared of pain and avoiding pain? Because like, I know that if I sign up for this thing, it's probably going to end in pain. We don't do that in our relationships. We don't do that in anything, you know, like we're all in if like, because without like, we have to go through that pain if we want to have like great reward or big pleasure. So I kind of vowed after that point that I'm never going to miss the main event again. It's like, you know, now that I'm in a position where I can play it, I don't want to miss it. You know, it's the pinnacle of playing. And the following year I did in fact play it. It was the following year was actually my first cash. Um, and it was my deepest run. I got 385th for around $30,000. And then once you have that deep run, um, it, you just, you're hooked. So yeah. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> missed it since. Nice. Um, and cool. I have, I have managed to cash five times, which, yeah. uh, which is interesting. I talked about this in one of my vlogs. It's kind of a fun stat because there's only been 45 people in the history of the world that have cashed the main event more than five times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and those people are like Phil Hellmuth and Daniel Legrano, right. you know, like, right. like that, you know, Doyle Bronson. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's fun to have that stat, even though, you know, at the end of the day, cashing the main event isn't like going to, you know, write me any records or you know pay for my lifestyle or anything like that sure. it's just kind of a fun little stat um cool. so yeah i plan on playing it every year if i you know if if i need to if like times are tough like i'll sell you know okay. but yeah. the last couple of years last couple of years i haven't sold any action and i've just um swapped out pieces with some friends which interestingly enough i swapped pieces with a friend that final tabled uh, a couple of years back his Amazing. name was max max steinberg yeah, yeah I, heard I swapped one percent with him and uh made twenty seven thousand dollars off of that deal there you go <laughs> so, um, yeah it's been uh it's been a wild ride i've had good friends make the final table my roommate gary gates made the final table also got fourth it's just yeah. uh the camaraderie my brother got 27th or 28th one year it's it's just like a t what a time to be uh, a poker player in vegas during the world series of poker main event nothing like it um, well, you talk about, you know, obviously stepping out of your comfort zone is the kind of type of thing you referenced. And you also talked about, you know, selling part of yourself. And I kind of want to, you know, this, this vlog number 100 was a, a pretty cool vlog you did very special recently. Uh, you posted highlights from a 50-100-200 WPT game that you ended up beating for 31K. So you said, you know, you told your audience it's the biggest game you ever played. And you said you sold 40% of yourself and you had a $75,000 stop loss. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's this process. Again, you say you don't want to be afraid of taking these shots and you don't want to be that guy's like, you know, you know, you learned your lesson from, from that you, from the time you took a year off. Then you go into a situation like this, which is, you know, clearly the biggest, you know, the hardest, that sort of thing. What's your mindset, you know, going into a game like that while you're playing do you finish the game and also just kind of also have to go for a drive and, you know, get the adrenaline levels down? So, so what, what's that feeling like for you? Yeah, there's, well, there's a couple levels of it because you know that the cameras are there for WPT. And yeah. the other big thing is I show up and they're like, you know, with COVID and everything, we want this mm. to be a five-handed game. So when it's a five-handed game, there's going to be a lot of loose action. You're going to be opening hands that you wouldn't be opening in a nine-handed game, you know? So I knew that chips would fly. So I was definitely nervous, you know, I, and you sell action so that you can help relieve some of that financial stress and some of the, hopefully some of the nerves will go away. But when you add in the cameras, when you add in, and it's the biggest game that I ever played, when you add in Faraz Jaka is in the game playing wild and you add in that there's a rich businessman who carried out a garbage bag full of a million dollars from the blackjack table on my left, who's not folding any hands. It's just, I'm, I'm, op I'm three betting to, uh, I don't remember. I think I would like three, bet. I, there was one hand where I three bet to like $1,800 with ACE queen out of, and I get called and I'm out of position, you know? And I'm just like, very prospect. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, it's a decent spot, but it's still like, I have ACE queen and the flops probably going to come like, eight five three right. and like you know and i have this maniac on my left and we're twenty five thousand dollars deep you know and i'm just not used to these spots um so it's really hard to separate yourself from the money in these spots the the way that you do separate yourself from the money is through repetition and i just don't have the reps at that stake 
So I was nervous. And luckily for me, you know, that scenario did happen where I did have an ace queen and got called out of position, um, got a raggedy flop, continued. The queen came on the turn and it just made life so much easier, you know, sure. <laughs> like, you know, now I have top pair, top kicker. That's but easy. so I, I definitely had some good situations in that game. Um, I, I, you know, I was, you know, we were men there mixing it up, but we made some hands. So we won some pots and it ended up going in my favor, but it could have easily gone the other direction. I'm just so happy that the, my debut in, in a massive game like that went well for me. When you say debut and getting in the reps, is that something you do hope to do a little bit more of and then shot take a little bit more? Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's one of the things that I've kind of come to the realization is that, you know, playing grinding the two five and the five ten isn't really getting my competitive juices going as much anymore, okay. which is one of the reasons why I've mixed in tournaments. Right. Um, and I don't want to go backwards. You know, I, I, I want to like continually be moving forwards in whatever I do. And the way to do that is create better content, play in higher stakes, and tackle tournaments so that it, I can start having success in tournaments as well. So like, those are the, like the big three things that I, I see for the next level for me. And thankfully, because I do have this channel, the Johnny vibes channel, I'm able to get on shows like hustler live and I'm able to get on these live streams and get these invites. And if the game ever feels like a little bit too uncomfortable for me, I have a network of people that are close to me that are willing to like buy my action and coach me for free, you know? So it's just, I, it's been a byproduct of having the channel, uh, have success that people don't really understand is there's money that I've made through having the channel that isn't necessarily tangible with the channel. It's right. intangible things. It's right. having access to like these world class players coach me in massive games and have bankrolls for these massive games because they're willing to back me, you know, so sure. it's been, uh, it's been huge in so many ways to have this channel. Cool. Uh, well, one of the, you know, one of the things that I think combines those three things you said, you know, playing for higher stakes, right. In, in tournaments and what was the third one? Uh, and the third one was creating more compelling content. Like I actually want right. to make a documentary, like, okay. you know, like YouTube vlogs are, are fun, but the next level is creating a story that is, more widely viewed by someone maybe outside of the poker you know right. like the dream is maybe i produce something that could be like on netflix one day or something you know like i, I don't want to limit myself but i i do want to say that i want to create higher quality more compelling content that's sure. uh, on my channel so those, those are sure. the three things well, well the netflix, content? yeah 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 so uh, well the netflix of poker is obviously we've got you know, we're thankful we have Poker Go, and that's what I was like. Those three things, yeah. the nexus of it, in a way, is the Poker Go studio. And, and you did get yeah. to play there uh, recently in the Run Good Series Pro-Am, and you captured a little bit uh, in the vlog. You know, so many of us, you know, we've seen it on TV, even if we've gotten to go and tour, but it's a whole other ball game to be able to sit at those tables and be able to play in the Poker Go studio. What's the experience uh, like for you? Uh, it's great. So the WPT caching was actually also in the poker go studio. So okay. it was, um, it was actually my second time being in the poker go studio. I ah, believe. Right, right, right. Okay. <clears throat> actually it was my third time because I didn't play the first time. Um, I was there for the GPI poker awards. Okay. They hold, they hold that in the studio and yep. to get invited to that was really cool as well. But yeah, I mean, anytime you're because I would consider the Poker Go Studios kind of like the Yankee Stadium of uh, of of poker places to play. You right. know, it's like right. maybe not maybe not Yankee Stadium, but like the Super Bowl. You know, okay. it's like all the eyes are there. The felt is the nicest felt. It's the chips are the nicest chips. The cameras are the nicest cameras. Yeah. The production is the nicest production the backdrop is the nicest backdrop that you're going to have anywhere. So it is, it is the best that you can. And experience let's not forget the uh, dealers and tournament staff. It's also some of the nicest. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I mean, everything, everything is just like dialed in there. So when you get the opportunity to play in there, you're not going to be able to sit in another place that you're going to be like, Oh, this is better than the poker go studio. So yeah, it, it's special and it's fun. And 
Um, definitely don't take it for granted. And anytime anybody would offer me a, a chance to play in there, I'm snap accepting it because it's awesome. just a cool life experience. Very cool. Well, besides uh, just last question of mine before we get into the community questions, uh, besides uh, the main event this coming year, you know, as of this broadcast, the schedule hasn't yet been announced, but you know, as you're moving forward, progressing, getting more into tournaments, do you have some sort of a generic idea of you know, what sort of schedule you'll be playing this summer at WSOP? Yeah, I've been working out a little bit of a schedule in my head for uh, the next couple months. It, I always get kind of uh, energized towards the end of the year and the beginning of the year to just like have better command over my life yeah. and like have um, more command over my health, you know, set some goals for travel, things like that, set some goals for poker, for content. No exception this year. Uh, my wife and I didn't even drink alcohol in the month of January putting together a fun schedule. We're going to, um, I want to play poker in Russia before the world series. Um, we have, a. we we're thinking about, uh, possibly a trip to the Caribbean to play in a WSOP circuit event. Um, I I'm thinking about maybe doing stepping up the content in like April and May and just like going really hard in April and May for content, like maybe doing another embrace the grind where I play 30 days in a row, something like that. And then, once WSOP hits, I really just want to focus on that. You know, there's so much good content during the WSOP. Daniel's doing his daily vlogs. Yeah. Uh, Poker Go is streaming every other day at a minimum. You know, there's just so much competition for content during that during that time. My the views on my channel go down during the WSOP, so yeah. it's like a good opportunity for me to take a break from content and really focus on poker and tournaments. So I think that's what I'm going to do again this year. Uh, as soon as the WSOP hits, I'm going to play a tournament every single day. If the tournaments don't work out, I'm going to go home and study, or I'm going to go play a cash game and then wake up and do it again. It's I'm going to be embracing the grind a hundred percent with poker. And, you know, I'll be uploading hand histories to my Instagram and things like that, but I'm not going to be packaging long form videos that, that, um, you know, during that short period of time during the WSOP. Well, it sounds like uh, your fans have a lot of your content production to look forward to. And it sounds like you've got a lot to look forward to. One other thing that I know a lot of folks have been looking forward to is asking you questions. And in this segment of the show, that's where we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. And we do have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forum for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. And the first set of questions comes from Pirate Glenn. Uh, thanks so much, Pirate Glenn. I see you've uh, been submitting a lot of questions, a lot of our guests recently, I appreciate it. Um, Johnny, Pirate Glenn wants to know, I see you're from San Diego. What live poker playing opportunities are there in that area? I've actually talked about this on my uh, channel a bunch. I, I, I was a San Diego grinder playing at Ocean's Eleven, and then more recently at a place called Palomar. And then that place got bulldozed. <laughs> and then I was also playing at a place called Village Club, also out of business. And now the games have gotten smaller, which I talked about in my videos. And now the biggest game that is a no limit game is a 5-5 game at a place called Seven Mile Casino. And as we talked about earlier, I don't really like going backwards in my poker career so i just have not been playing san diego poker lately which is one of the reasons why olga and i are um, we're actually buying an apartment at the panorama in vegas and we're going to oh, be nice. spending more we're going to be spending more time in vegas um, cool. but yeah in terms of san diego poker there's really only two places right now that i would recommend for cash games it would mostly be seven mile which is in chula vista and it's a great place that you can actually see the ocean from the poker room which is cool. really cool that and then the other place for tournaments, they have, um, and also cash games at night as well, more of a casino feel, is a place called Hummel Casino, which is 20 minutes from downtown San Diego. Cool. I was actually there last night. Oh, nice. Thanks for the uh, recommendations. Uh, Pirate Glenn also wants to know, this is, this is an interesting one. You might have to you know, use a time chip for this one. Um, if you could handpick a, ta a table full of your toughest adversaries, who would you have there and why? Um, I would actually pick people that I enjoy spending time with. So um, 
I don't want to play with people that are no fun, like to be around. So, you know, even if they're like tough or whatever. So I would go with the people that are tough that I still enjoy their company. So people like Andrew Nimi and um, Matt Vaughn, who's part of your community. A lot of these guys who make content because even though we're good friends and we consume each other's content and we prop each other up and, um, you know, I just did a meetup game with Brad Owen. Like we're all, it's a nice community of of people that are kind of always in each other's corners. It's, we still have a little bit of a rivalry and a little bit of a competitive nature. So I think I would fill the table with vloggers, with tough vloggers. And we we just have fun and go to war. Nice. And everyone's just felt, you can watch seven or eight different vlogs from every (laughs) perspective. That way I can see, that way I can see what they had later on. (laughs) Exactly. Just implant the cameras directly into the cards. Uh, Just since you mentioned them, Andrew Nimi, that's episode 52. Matt Vaughn, Cards Chat Ambassador, episode 54. This is 72, guys. So, you know, especially if you've gotten this far, 71 other great interviews that you guys can check out uh, after you finish this one. Uh, two more questions from Pirate Glenn. We'll move on to the next one. We'll try to get through as many as we can. Uh, and again, thanks so much for your time, Johnny. Definitely appreciate it. Um, do you have a personal favorite casino or poker room to play at? Hmm. I would say that coming up, because I, I did a lot of Vegas grinding uh, mm-hmm. in my early days of being a cash game grinder, the win was always like tops for me mm-hmm. just because of the ambiance, the feel of the place. It felt like the players that you were playing against, it wasn't their rent money. You know, like mm. you got to interact with interesting people who were business owners. And, um, you know, I remember playing at the win one time with a Turkish footballer who was on the Turkish national team. Mm-hmm. Um and just like talking to him about his life and just like the interesting people that you meet at these higher end places. Um, But the other thing is planet Hollywood, when it first opened had this really beautiful poker room and that place just has so much nostalgia for me. I, unfortunately it closed down and they, even before it closed down, they moved it into the middle of the casino. And once they moved it in the middle casino, I was done with it, but the original like beautiful room, dedicated room right when you walked in mm-hmm. uh had a great staff great 60 dollars nightly tournaments it's just wow. like i have so much nostalgia attached to that place that um i really that was my favorite honestly love it uh, you did mention the win I, I just have to point out i know it's not about me but i had to say it. i played with the win twice i am undefeated i've not lost in either of my two sessions at the win not too many players can say that just say um no definitely <laughs> not <laughs> Uh, if there was from last one, Pirate Glenn, if there was one thing you could change about the game of poker, realistically speaking, what would that be and why? Um, realistically, okay, here's that's that's the tricky part. Realistically, yeah, exactly. Let's, um, let's say you have a, a magic marker and you know you're part of the TDA, you know, for one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that I would uh, I would probably ban ten-handed poker. Yes. And, um, yes. and, uh, and, you know, push to ban nine handed poker and just strictly be eight handed poker. Second, you know, so much more room at the table. You get to play more hands. Um, it's, it's just a more fun environment. I think that it, it could help save no limit hold them in general, just having less players at the table. Love it. Uh, such a great answer. And you know, look, frankly, for you know the silver lining of this pandemic where you needed a little bit more social distancing, you saw so much eight-handed poker. That's one thing. You know, beneath the masks, everyone was real smiling and happy. It's nice to have all that extra elbow room. Great answer. Fantastic. Um, Chica Bonita, thank you so much for sending in these questions. This question I really love uh, speaks to your, your beautiful generosity, Johnny. Uh, Veronica Brill, launched a fundraiser to get a special car for K.L. Cleeton. Wonderful guy. He's got special needs. Uh, you decided on your own, I'm going to donate $10,000. Uh, and it's a very noble act. Uh, Chico Bonita wants to know, why did you decide to participate in this? Um, have you done similar things like that either before or, or since then? Um, yeah, I've always, I've always kind of, so Olga and I did this, uh, we've been big into personal development and it's something that she's really like pulled me into and I've embraced it. Uh, 
reluctantly embraced it at first, but now okay. it's just become like something that I recognize that the more that I do and give to people, it actually has this like inverse effect of fulfilling me. So it's, I don't want it to seem like it's like this altruistic thing. It really is like self-fulfillment. The more that I'm able to help other people, the better I feel about myself, the more pep I have in step in my day, you know, the more pep in my step I have throughout the day. Um, it's just, uh, it's a pattern that I recognize. So when that actually came up, I won't say that the $10,000 didn't hurt at first, because I remember when I said that I was going to donate per retweet, I never actually thought that it would go that high. I, I, I was, I remember being like, this is a lot of money. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, when is this going to end? I was, and then Doug Polk retweeted it. Phil Helmuth retweeted it. And yeah. it started like, it started going crazy. And I definitely had some anxiety over it. But once the dust settled and I, the, the amount was 10,000. Yeah. Any, anytime it's an amount where it like, it, it like you feel it, sure. it, it actually means more. So hmm. once I handed over the 10K and like we had a phone conversation, I talked to his dad and I talked hmm. to him and I just felt the gratitude in their voice. <clears throat> and I recognized the difference that I was able to make for them. It felt so good. And something that was, causing me some anxiety at first ended up being one of the coolest feelings that I had in recent memory and the being able to help him like that. Um, we, now we have a great friendship. We talk fairly frequently. Um, it's, it's, it's been a huge blessing that I was able to do that. And, uh, the $10,000 while it was like a lot in the moment, I don't even think about it anymore. It's, it's gone. And like, all I think about it are the warm, like feelings that I was able to help him and, uh, that's what I'll hold on to forever. Not the, not the feeling of like handing over the 10K. You know? right. yeah, it's so beautiful. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, guys, replay that. Replay that last 90 seconds of, of that. That's just a beautiful answer, beautiful sentiment. Um, next one from Chica Bonita. Uh, you mentioned folks whose work you admire in the vlogosphere. How about at the felt? Do you have any poker idols? Uh, Chica Bonita wants to know. Yeah, I will say that my, my top one is it's just like the easiest answer because it's just so true is my brother okay. uh my my you know we we came from a pretty very humble beginnings and i was like kind of like the the oldest in the family and i was i was going down this path of you know i was the first one to go to college in like our family and i i got a two-year degree and I, I really was like pushing andrew down that path and andrew was struggling with um the direction that he was going to take his life and he wasn't particularly like the most gifted at anything that he really tried. Um, so he's kind of always lived in my shadow a little bit. And to see what he's done at the poker table throughout his 20 year poker career has just been mind blowing for me. And, and like now, like, you know, growing up where I was kind of always the one guiding him and, you know, showing him the ropes in a lot of way, like he just is like so much more evolved in a lot of ways and especially in poker and seeing him win like the $1.5 million that he won during that tournament, you know, 10 months ago and uh, just like continually making deep run after deep run. And just, I'm just like so proud of him. It's just absolutely mind boggling what he's been able to do with, um, you know, the, the, the tools that he had coming up. So I'm, I'm super proud, but outside of my family, the people that I've, have watched from afar and been really impressed with number one, I would say number one on my list is probably Garrett Adelstein. He's uh, he's someone that's been part of the community of poker players that I've been involved with in the Southern California scene. And the way that he handles himself at the poker table, the way that his humility with talking about mental illness and some of the struggles that he deals with anxiety and the fact that he's willing to play on a poker stream and, um, you know, play these massive pots and the, the seemingly lack of fear that he has. I've played with him a couple times. And I remember that uh, the times that I played with him, I probably like, I haven't played with him in over six years, but I remember playing with him like six years ago at a 10 20 game at the commerce. And he literally raised every hand mm -hmm. and no matter what your stack was, it was in play, even if it was a single raise pot. So Wow. Let's say you have a $20,000 stack and he makes it $50 pre-flop in a 10-20 game. 
if you call that raise, there is a chance by the river <laughs> that your entire $20,000 stack is going to be in the middle. And yeah. there are, there's not many players that you can say that about, you know, and, and that fear that he instills into me, he instilled into me at the time was something that I, I was kind of like awestruck by and kind of always mm-hmm. watched him from afar and like been, admired that because that's, that hasn't been my style of game. You know, like if I'm getting in all of my, you know, a thousand big blinds, it's because I have the nuts. And if right. Garrett's getting a thousand big blinds in, it's either because he has the nuts or he knows that you don't. Right. <laughs> That's a, definitely a different level of, of the player. I love it. Uh, we got two more people asking questions here. Thank you so much, Crystals, for sending these questions in. Um, uh, Crystals wants to know, uh, you originally moved to Las Vegas for work. How long did it take for you to find poker? Yeah, well, it was tricky because I actually, um, my brother was a poker player prior to me moving to Vegas. I had right. him move to Vegas. And uh, I remember the first time we moved him down there, uh, it was right over um, Christmas, around that time, like Christmas vacation. He, We moved him in and I left and went back to Indiana. And there was like a six month, five month period where he was there and I was um back in indiana working as a software developer and that was the first time in our life where we hadn't really like lived in the same place have a very close relationship two years apart in age and i missed him a lot and i was like i want to go back to vegas like i'll find work in vegas Uh, it's just i I need to be near him like the lifestyle just seems better there so I, i went there um in may for memorial day and I just remember it was like, you know, 80 degrees at night and we were drinking a beer on the strip and I was just watching people go by and I was like, I don't want to leave. Like, mm-hmm. I just want to stay here. Like, this just feels good to be here. So I made the decision in that moment that I was going to come to Vegas. I went home and about three weeks later, I was back to, I, you know, putting my things in order so I could go back to Vegas. I told my work, I'm leaving. I'm going to Vegas. They're like, that's fine. Like you can write software from Vegas. Like it's no big deal. So I went to Vegas, but then living with someone that's so obsessed with poker (laughs) and and like him, like showing you everything that he's doing on the computer, seeing him come home with, you know, thousands of dollars every day because he's like making money at the poker tables. And he's this wealth of knowledge, just showing me how to do it. Like step-by-step, I didn't even have to really go through the growing pains of like losing money at poker at first. Like he gave me this blueprint, like, if you play this way and watch me play, I watched him for months and months and months before I invested a single dollar. I was like break even at, at worst, you know? Right. So, um, I started like being around him and doing my job less and less. And then eventually my job was like, you know, you're not working out. And I'm right. like, yeah, I I'm leaving. And they're like, okay. So I, I left and started going down the path of poker full time. And I remember the, uh, the first couple of months I'm like, you know what? It's okay. Like if this doesn't work out, I can always go back to writing software. Right. Software developers will always be in demand, but you know, two months turns into six months and then six months turns into a year. And then once yeah. you're a year in, you're like, I'm never going back to that life. You know, like I, I have a taste of this freedom. I have a taste of the first time in my life being my own boss and making money on my own terms. I didn't really see a way that I could go back to it. So from that point on, I kind of flipped the switch in my head that if things aren't working out in poker, either I figure it out or I do something else where I'm making money on my own terms. Right. Right. That certainly uh, resonates with me and not as a player, but uh, definitely doing all this uh, media creation, everything except the coming home each day with thousands of dollars. That is somehow not managed to do, but maybe I'll speak to Andrew uh, and get some tips. Um, Acid Burn FX, uh, he will round us off here in the beer level. He's always got the creative questions. So thank you for submitting these. And then uh, we will end off the show. Um, Big one. I hope you're ready for this one, Johnny. If tomorrow humanity ended, and today you got superpowers with only one chance to use them. What would you do? Well, it's, we clearly can't extend um, tomorrow's fate Correct. with our Correct. superpowers. That is a given <laughs> in the in the scenario. Yes. I think my superpowers would be I would uh, I would gather everybody that's important to me, 
Mm. And we would just like have a day of like hanging out and just talking about all the things we're grateful for each other. Mm. And um, yeah, spend it with the people that I love. Wow. I don't think you need any superpowers for that. That sounds like uh, you're well, pretty some, close to them I have already, people so. all up. I have people that I love all over the place, so it would yeah. be it would be a superpower to get to get them all in the same spot. Okay, Allegiant Stadium, get ready. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the final question we've got for you from our question asking community, uh, Acidburn FX wants to know, Johnny, if you can give someone one just one piece of advice, what would it be and why? Uh. I, I I guess the number one piece of advice that I've constantly telling myself. So if I'm constantly telling myself this, I think it would be good for other people mm. is I'm always in the question of what makes me happy out of the, out of the day-to-day things that I'm doing in my life. And sometimes I'll find myself doing things day-to-day that aren't making me happy. And I actually don't realize that until I take the time to ask myself the question of, is this thing that I'm doing right now making me happy? And so um, the piece of advice that I have for everyone else is take the time to stop and ask yourself if the things that you're doing day to day are making you happy. And if they're not, you don't have to like drastically change everything all at once. You just have to make the conscious effort to start doing the things that make you happy little by little so that eventually you have designed your life and your day in a way where the things that you're doing are making you happy. So that that's my number one advice. Beautiful answer. And I'm so happy I chose that question uh, with which to, to end the show because that was just a beautiful uh, bow you tied there. Uh, thank you everyone who sent in questions for Johnny Vibes. And again, just a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Johnny, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience uh, anywhere you know that they could find you want to plug some merch or some stuff that you're up to? Um, I would say that there's there's a new project that I'm getting ready to start. Uh, obviously, my YouTube channel is my flagship for social media. Um, I my highest quality like package content is going to be on YouTube. But uh, a lot of times on Instagram, like I, I just upload hand histories to my stories all the time. Like I, I have hand histories from um, last night on my story. That's like a easy way to just get like, you know, fun in the moment content. And if you're really interested in like getting better at the game, I'm just starting up a Twitch channel where I'm going to start doing solver work uh, uh, in the mornings on my Twitch channel. So that's like, uh, I know a lot of people struggle with how to study. And like solvers are like the newest tool out there for studying. And I'm not an expert at solvers. So we'll kind of be learning it together uh, over on Twitch. So twitch.tv slash Johnny Vibes. Johnny, again, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you all once again for joining us for another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can find me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.